Yeah, today we are at the third part of our series called Prayer, A Conversation with God. And in the series, we said we want to keep it simple. We want to cut some of the fluff that's often associated with prayer. Sometimes we struggle to pray in front of people. We might even struggle to pray on our own because we think that our prayers might not be good enough, that our words are not fancy enough, or that God might not be listening to me because I'm not good enough or whatever. And in this series, we said, let's cut all of that and go back to the heart of prayer. And prayer at its very essence is a conversation with God. A conversation is a two-way dialogue or a three-way thing, but when it comes to prayer, it's two ways, between me and it's between God. And we said in the first week, this is what prayer about, is about. It's about God, a Father who wants to hear your heart, not the right words, not the right length, just your heart. He wants you to share that with Him. The second week, last week, we spoke about how can we hear God's voice, because a conversation means that not only should I be speaking to God, but God should also be talking to me. So we said, how can we listen to God? How can we know God's voice? How can we hear God's voice. And today, um, for our third part, I wanted to start with this story that I he heard years ago. And this is not an unfamiliar story, so you might have heard this, but this, this is so significant to me. So years ago, there was this little town with a serious drought. And people, it was almost like the day zero thing that, that happened with us, what was it now, more than a year ago? Two years ago. And um, they decided it got so bad that all the Christian churches decided to get over the issues they have with each other because churches often have issues with each other, right? And they decided, let's get together and let's pray for rain on the market plan in the middle of town center. All the Christian churches are going to get together and they're going to pray for rain. And they told everyone on the specific day that they must bring a symbol of their faith. So when you are praying for rain sometimes, and it's a real big drought, sometimes you need to be reminded that your God is real, that He's there. So people brought their Bibles. Yes, this is an orange Bible. Um, not, a, not a black one. It's an orange one, but it's still the same Bible. Some people brought their Bibles. Some people brought a little cross. Um, there were some Roman Catholics who brought their um, they're little Marys and all kinds of things that different pe people brought, right? And th that's a symbol of faith. So that's how they're remembering whom they're speaking to. And then finally, they started this event. Everyone started praying. And we learned already that God is a God who loves to hear our prayers. So what did God do? It started raining, but not just raining. It's pouring cats and dogs. So people are running, literally, like everyone is just off in another direction trying to find shelter. And the, while the pastor is standing on the stage, he sees one single boy in the middle of the, of the market plane standing with his umbrella. Because if I pray for rain, how can I pray for rain and not bring an umbrella? If you ask me to bring a symbol of my faith, my symbol of my faith is my umbrella. Because if I'm praying for rain, God is going to send rain. So how else, what else should I bring? I should bring an umbrella. And this is such a significant story to me because often we pray and we take, we take other things with us, but we don't bring our umbrella because we don't really believe that if we pray for rain, God is going to answer that with rain. And that is why today our third part of this series is called Expect Great Things. Expect great things. So when we pray, God wants to hear our heart. He's listening. It's precious to Him. He wants to speak back to us. But I also believe that we can expect great things from God because God wants to respond to the prayers that we pray. And we're going to start today by reading a scripture about the church that was praying for something significant. And there was moments when they really expected great things. And there was moments when 
that he didn't expect it at all. So we'll be reading, if you've got your Bibles here, from Acts 12. But let me give you a bit of background first. So in, at, at this point of time, the church is rapidly growing. King Herod, the son of Herod the Great, he decides to make a big move to win the approval of the Jewish leaders because he's running this whole area for the Roman Empire. But the Jews were very, they were known for always creating chaos because they didn't want to be ruled by anyone else. So he's like, the only way I'm going to rule this place effectively is if I can win the favor of the people. And the Jews hated the Christians. So what does, what does um, King Herod do? He arrests James, the brother of John. So we always had these three disciples that Jesus loved, James, John, and Peter. So he arrests that James, and then he kills him. And they say how he kills him. He kills him with a sword. And people love it. The Jews are like, yes, keep doing that. So he's like, this is my moment. Now I'm going to impress these guys. I'm going to capture Peter, the leader of the early church, and everyone will love me for it. So that's literally what happens. He finds Peter, he arrests him, and then we're going to read from Acts 12, from verse 4. After arresting him, so that's Peter, he, King Herod, put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So he's like, we need to make sure this guy doesn't go anywhere. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So we don't know at this point exactly how long he's been in jail, how long it is, but this feast that they were celebrating was a feast for seven days that ended on Passover. The Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Let's say that together. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound not only with one chain, but bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, it doesn't say, like, woke him up gently. So I think Peter was probably having a deep sleep. So he struck him. I'm like, I don't want to be struck when I'm sleeping. But he had to get him up. So he says, quick, get up, Peter. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it just opened by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jews planned, be it the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now this, this is the important part that I want to get to. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They're still praying. And Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when, they, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door, and she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, then it must be his angel. 
But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, the other brothers and, uh, James and the other brothers and sisters about it, he said, and then he left for another place. That's what we're going to read today. A long scripture, but it's such an impressive story. I just want to keep reading it. So guys, it's... Um, at the, at the beginning of this, we read about a James who died. That's James, the brother of John, was one of the 12 disciples of the original followers of Jesus, the guys he mentored to lead the church. And at the end, he's saying, go and tell James that James is the brother of Jesus and so not the same James. This is such an amazing story. It is like if you want to be in an impossible situation, this is it. If Peter is captured, he's guarded by four squads of four soldiers. It's 16 soldiers. He's bound by two chains. Two of the soldiers are directly behind him, uh, next to him. He's in prison behind the iron door. It's maximum security prison. And not only does prison suck, not only is he trapped in this space, although he's innocent of anything, but he's sitting there remembering that just now, one of his best friends, one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples, were just killed by King Herod. Yeah, so, so there's no, like, I wonder what King Herod is going to say. It's obvious what's going to happen. It is obvious that this situation is hopeless. It's impossible because King Herod is going to kill him. But here's what's beautiful to me. When Peter finds himself, I, I almost want to say not just Peter, but when the church finds itself in this crazy, hard, difficult, impossible situation, what is the first thing that we read about that they do? The first thing we read in, in verse 5, when Peter was kept in prison, what did the church do? But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You see, the first reaction they have is not to try and figure out a plan of how they're going to save him. The first reaction they have is to go to God and say, God, our hands are tied. You've got the answers. You can do this. Their first reaction to a difficult situation is to pray. And then what is more beautiful to me, although we don't know exactly how long Peter was in jail, could have been just one night, it could have been a couple of nights, feces seven days, they wanted um, to, to do the whole hearing on Passover. So he might have been there for a couple of days. We're not sure. But when we read after he came, he was freed from prison, what is the church still doing? They are still praying. You see, not only did they go to God in the difficult situation and they're like, God, I can't do anything about it. Save me. I feel hopeless. I feel depressed. I feel anxiety. I feel like the noise won't go out of my head. Lord, I feel like my finances are, are just done for. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Lord, my marriage is falling apart. Lord, I feel sick. Lord, I've got this illness that I'm fighting. Whatever it might be, the first reaction is go to God. And then they not only say, God, take this and do something about it. And then they forget about it. So one day, something happens, they keep praying about it. If you have a child, or if you've had a little brother or a sister that wanted something, they never stop, do they? It's like when a child goes into their why phase. Luckily, Abigail is not there yet. But it like they keep saying, why, why, why? And little brother or sister will like, I want that, I want that, I want that. And it's so frustrating. But this is what the church is doing. They're going to their dad and they keep praying until the breakthrough happens. Until the miracle happens. 
Because I want to encourage you today, and I want to tell you, your first reaction to any impossible situation in life should be to pray. Why do we always have to be fixers? Why do we always have to start with a plan, trying to figure out how I'm going to get through this crisis, how I'm going to make my deadlines, how, God is, how I'm going to save my marriage? Why can't we go if we believe we serve the living God, if we believe that we serve a God for whom nothing is impossible? Why is that not instinctively our first reaction to go to God and to say, God, I'm in an impossible situation. I need your help. Because I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've been privileged to grow up in a house with parents who actually believed that prayer works. And I've had the privilege of seeing God throughout my parents' ministry and throughout our ministry. I've had the privilege of seeing God restore marriages, of seeing God healing sick people. I've seen cancer disappear overnight. My own mom has an incurable lung disease that disappeared. The specialist himself had to tell her this was a miracle. My own brother, after a motorcycle accident where I was driving, cracked his heel, tore his ligaments. He was supposed to get pains, steel pains in his heel. We prayed for him. He went there again to the doctor, and they're like, your foot is here. There's, there's no cracks in your heel left. I have a, so many stories to tell about how God came through when we were so desperate that our only option was to pray. But why do we have to get to a point where we're so desperate that our only option is praying? Why can't we just in every situation skip the desperation, skip the stress, skip the worries, skip all of the crazy plans and just go to God straight and say, like, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your will. The thing is, it's easier to pray for certain things in our life than others. It's easier to trust God for certain things than others. And, and I didn't actually realize this until I, I was speaking to my coach this week. And, um, and he mentioned this to me. And I'm like, that's true. It's easier to pray about God, thank you for the food, bless my family, than to pray, God, heal me of an incurable disease. You know Why? Because we're afraid that we might be disappointed. I'm afraid that I might look stupid. I'm afraid that what if nothing happens and it rattles my whole belief system? So then all the things that, are, that seem impossible, all the things that I think might not happen, everything that, that really fills me with fear and anxiety, I just struggle to pray about that. Because if I were the church, I would have been shaking in my boots back then. We are so happy that we live in a country where we can worship God freely. But imagine we were sitting here today and Saul was already killed for just believing in Jesus. And you are here and I'm in prison and my head is next. And that means they're coming for you after that. There's countries in the world where that happens. Did you know that Christians are still the most persecuted people group in the world? About a quarter of a million Christians are killed every year for their faith. I would have been shaking, and the reaction is, let's not, let's not even try to figure this out. Let's just go to God. I don't care if I'm looking stupid. I don't care. I just have to go to God. And what is so crazy to me is they started out really good. Okay, They trust in God. They're praying for Peter, but they didn't finish so well. It starts to go south a little bit. 
even Peter, but I can kind of understand his reaction. So the angel comes, wakes Peter up. Peter gets up, and he's kind of like a little child. First, he had to be struck to, to be woken up, right? So, so he's, he's sleeping really deep. And then the angel's like, put on your shoes, put on this, put on your cloak. It's like, he has to tell him, put on your underpants, put on your, you know, it's like a little kid. And then Paul walks out, and a change just falls off. He walks, the door opens, the guards are standing there, they're not seeing him, and he's just like, what's going on? Am I seeing a vision again? Oh, Peter, sorry, not Paul. And he, and I can understand that he thought he was seeing a vision because God has given him amazing visions. But at the same time, he should have expected this. But he doesn't. He's like, you know, maybe I'm just dreaming this. Maybe it's a vision. And then only after he's outside, after God did the miracle, he realizes what has happened. But, but that is not as bad as, as the church. Peter knocks on the door of the prayer meeting where they are praying for his release. And they're like, no way. There's no way Rhoda, our servant, is a crazy person. She forgot to drink her pills. There's no way that Peter can be outside the door because he's behind a locked iron door because he's in chains. Four squads of four soldiers are guarding him. There's no way that he's outside even though we've been praying for it. I'm like, what? And then she's like, no, no but seriously, he's there. And then they say these strange words, it must be his angel. So now they switch not only from a place of fear and from, from doubt, now they're switching to superstition because the Jewish people back then believed that every person had a guardian angel that looked like that person. So now these Christians freed in Jesus that knows Jesus came for them, they know they have the Holy Spirit, they go back to that. And they're like, man, it must be his guardian angel that looks like him and talks like him, but it's not Peter. It can be anything, but it's not Peter. One, one lady acted differently, and that was Rhoda. I kind of see her as, as the person with the umbrella. We're praying for rain, so let's stand with the umbrella. So Peter knocks on the door. The first thing I would do is like get him in, close the door, like make sure all the windows are closed so that the soldiers don't see him. She, she's praying with an umbrella. Peter knocks on the door. She runs upstairs. So she, she's so excited. She just like leaves him there. And I can imagine her running up. And she's like, I told you guys. I told you he's going to be free. Look at that. He's standing right outside. Poor Peter is like, can someone open? The guards are still like after me. She's just too excited. Because I think she was praying with expectation. She was praying and believing that the God of miracles can do miracles. You see, but it's possible for us to trust God for one thing and not for another. It's possible to trust God for sending flames of fire, sending the Holy Spirit just a couple of chapters back. It's possible to trust God for making them all speak different languages so that they could share the gospel with people who couldn't understand Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. But it's not possible to trust God for letting someone out of a prison. Maybe you've been there. Where you're trusting God for one thing, but you're struggling to trust Him for another thing. And guys, sometimes I, I know it comes out of a place of fear. We look at the story now and we're like, the church was so stupid. Why didn't they just believe? Can you remember that one of their leaders, one of their best friends, were just executed? They were shaking. They were afraid. And the crisis 
led to a loss of hope and and led to a loss of trust and led to a loss of expectation. Because fear overrides our faith. Don't allow doubt and fear in your life to steal the miracle. Don't be so afraid that there's no way out that you can't trust God for a way out. Don't say no to God before you've asked. And I don't know why you might be struggling to pray about something. But I want to tell you, put that doubt behind you. Put that fear behind you because you might miss your miracle because you're too afraid to ask God. But here's the crazy thing. When I say, don't allow doubt and fear to steal your miracle, I'm putting that, that steal in little asterisks like, like steal because the miracle still happened, didn't it? Peter was freed. He's standing outside. The stealing didn't happen because because they were doubting God. is like, nope, I'm not going to do it. God still did it. The stealing happened in their own minds. They couldn't see the miracle. Peter couldn't see himself walking out of jail. He's thinking he's having a vision. The church couldn't see God coming through for them and Peter standing outside. And I want to tell you, sometimes we pray and because God is a loving God and God loves to answer us, He answers us, but because of our doubt... It's not that God doesn't answer. He's that we don't see what he did. And years down the line, we're like, how did, wait, how did Peter end up outside the door? And we miss the miracles that God is doing in our life. I've seen it so many times with people coming to church, having amazing life change. And it's like when I tell them, like, I'm, it, it's so great for me to see how you've grown. They're like, huh? And I'm like, how did you just miss what happened in your life in the last couple of months? But that is how we are. Fear, noise, all of that stuff, doubt, closes our eyes and our minds and our hearts to the miracles that God wants to do. But God will keep doing them. He loves it when we pray in faith. He moves when we pray in faith. But God does miracles even when we doubt, even when we have fear. So if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I want to pray about something, but I'm still struggling because this fills me with fear. So now my prayer is never going to be answered. No, no, no. Let, let, me, let me read you something about, about the God we serve, okay? Matthew 7, verse 7. This is so powerful. Jesus is literally teaching himself here. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, um, verse 7 to 11. So it's easy to, to remember. You remember the old store, 7 11? So if you ever like, I can't remember what it was. First book in the New Testament, Matthew 7, 7, 11. So just like they open from 7 till 7 and 11. Okay, so 7, 7, 11. Um, 7 from verse 7. This is what Jesus is saying. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. It's the way it works, even with Easter eggs. Knock and the door will be open to you. Unless you've got a mean neighbor, right? And then Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So he, he says it two times just in case you and I might be a little slow and we don't understand what he's saying. And then he says this, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if you ask for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, because there's sin in our hearts, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is literally saying, you know what? 
The church was probably doubting and they were probably praying in fear when they were praying, but still because they've got a good father, they said, please, dad, rescue Peter. And God is like, you've asked me, like, how can I say no? I love you. God loves us so much that even when we struggle, even when we're going through a time of doubt, He still listens, He still hears, your prayers are still important to Him, and He will respond. So they prayed, and this amazing miracle happens, right? Chains fall off. Guards are just lying there. They don't know what's going on. And by the way, if you're wondering like Lee, but this how do we know this is not just a story? Afterwards, Herod got so crazy, sent everyone to look for Peter. They couldn't find Peter. So he then killed the guards who were supposed to take care of Peter. Okay, so this was not just like, oh, Peter is gone and no one realized. Next morning, the guards were going crazy. Herod was going crazy. This was a crazy miracle. Peter walks out through this iron door. It's just an amazing miracle. And if you like, but that happened in Bible times, it still happened. Go and read books about guys that took Bibles to countries like China and Russia where when they couldn't take them in. And these stories of guys walking out of a modern day prison, out of a door with guards on towers with guns, and they're not seeing them and they would just walk out. All stories like that happening. But I want to tell you today, whatever seems impossible in your life, this seemed impossible for Peter to walk out of a maximum security prison without anyone noticing till the next morning. This is not prison break where they're trying to escape and the whole time like they're always caught somehow. He just walks out. No one is seeing him. It's easy. And I want to tell you today that God is capable of turning the possible thing in your life into just another walk in the park, or in this case, into a walk out of the prison. A walk in the park means it's so easy. It comes natural. And for Peter, it was a walk out of prison. God is like, what's impossible to you? It's just another walk in the park for me. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's easy. And I think what God wants from us is that we not only pray, not only that we share our heart with God, not only that we're listening to hear from Him, but that we actually pray with expectation. That when we're praying and we're saying, God, I need you to intervene, I need you to help me, God, I need you to take care of me, that we're actually believing with expectation that that what He promises is going to happen. We need to be like that boy, when I'm praying for rain, I want to stand with an umbrella. When I'm praying for Peter to get out of jail, I want my door to already be open. When I'm praying for my mother to to be healed, I I already want to expect that God is saying she's healed. I want to pray with expectation. I want to pray with faith. I want to pray with boldness. I don't want to be afraid if God lays something on my heart to pray for someone, I don't want to be afraid to do that because what if, what if this doesn't happen? What if people look funny at me? What, what if they think my God is dead? Guys, that's not the way we're supposed to pray. That's not the way Elijah prayed when he was standing at that altar and 400 other prophets were standing around there and he's like, God, come and like, destroy everything with fire. That was expectation. That's boldness. Has it ever happened to you? When God lays something on your heart, it has happened to me to pray for someone, for something. And then you're too afraid to do it. What if I heard wrong? What if like this doesn't happen? I don't want to live like that. I want to wait with an open door if I'm praying for Peter to be released. 
God loves to move when we pray. Do you know why? Because it shows the world His power. And it saves His children. He's a Father that loves you and I more than we can imagine. Someone asked me this week how, how I've experienced the whole thing of being a dad. He's like, the, and he said, like, I know you love, love your dog. Is this the same thing? And I'm like, no, dude. It's not. I'm like, I, I can't explain that love. I cannot explain this love. Yolandi's with his sister for this week in East London. And it was so hard to drop them off at the airport. And every day Yolandi sends me these little videos. And it's like my heart doesn't know what to do when I see Abby doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It is a love it cannot explain. It is a love. And I was thinking back of my own childhood. And I realized, like, I actually feel a little sorry for most of the stuff I did. Because my parents loved me so much more than I could ever understand. And you kind of reject it, especially when you're a teenager, right? God compares it to a father, and he's like, even an earthly father doesn't always get it right, doesn't always love you the way he's supposed to do. But God is the perfect father who loves us so much, and he loves to move when we pray because he loves you so much. But it also shows the world that he's the living God. Peter arrived, but James, his friend, is dead. And for some reason, maybe because he's also named James, Peter walks into the house and he says, go and tell other James, go and tell the brother of Jesus what has happened. And he Stanley always says, if you want to know if Jesus was really the son of God, you can know it by the mere fact that James believed it. If I tell my brothers I'm God, they are the first ones who will not believe me. And they were the first ones who also didn't believe Jesus. But after his resurrection, they believed. And he's go and tell James. And then James later writes a letter to the church as well. And we call the book James, Jacobus in Afrikaans. I don't know how they got to James, by the way. It's very far from the Greek. But in James, we read this, James 5, verse 16. James hears about Peter, and months later, years later, weeks later, he writes down these words. James 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of a Christian, the prayer of a child of God, the prayer of someone who believes, the bold prayer of someone, the prayer with expectation, that prayer, he says, is powerful and effective. There's power in it. It's not just like little words that kind of float in the air one ear in, one ear out. It is powerful. Every time you pray, there's power in it. And he said it is effective. Something happens when you pray. There's a, there's a shift in the atmosphere. There's a move of God that follows. I don't want to be like the disciples that made fun of Rhoda because she believed what she prayed for. I don't want to be like the disciples who must pinpoint something on superstition because I struggle to believe that God did exactly what we asked Him to do. I want to believe. I want to pray with expectation. I want to be the boy with the umbrella. And in order for that to happen, we have to do this. We have to take off the limitations of God. We need to take the limitations of God that we've placed on Him. 
they maybe thought God can't do this because he didn't save James. If you're like, yeah, but then they pray for that. Next week, we're going to talk about why God doesn't always say yes. Okay, so if you're like, God has said no to me, next week you will find some answers. Not from me, from the Bible. So it's simple. But maybe they struggled. Maybe they put some limitations around God's neck and said, God can do amazing things, but he cannot free people from prison. He cannot free them from death. Let's put that, that limitation around God's neck. Maybe you've put a limitation around God's neck that he cannot heal you. Maybe you've put a limitation around God's neck that he cannot save your situation at work. Maybe you've put a limitation around God's neck about something in your life. And if you want to pray effective and powerful prayers, prayers in which God move, remove the limitations. Don't limit God based on your limitations. What is impossible to you is not impossible to God. We serve a God, the Bible says, that can do so much more than we can even think or ask for. Can you imagine that? Maybe they just prayed to keep Peter safe. God freed him. And whatever you need in your life, God is capable, He's powerful to do so much more. God loves big prayers. God loves bold prayers. Because God wants us to pray for things we cannot do in our own strength. Don't limit God. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I don't want to come to you and doubt every word that I'm praying. I don't want to come to you and be be speechless after a miracle, not because it's a miracle, but because I cannot believe that you will do what I've asked you to do. Because I want to pray with an expectation in my heart. I want to pray and I want to know that the Father who loves me so much more than I can ever imagine will answer in a way so much greater than I could have thought of. I pray today, Lord, that you would give us the faith and the boldness to pray powerful, effective prayers. That drowns your voice, that drowns faith. And I pray that you would remove from our minds any limitations we've put on you. We pray it in Jesus' name.